0: the king. As I have each night, I want to give credit and thanks to Dr. David Jeremiah. (coughs) Let's do a quick (coughs) review of the sequence of events so far in the apocalypse, which is the other way of saying the revelation. The revelation reveals the church, the martyrs, the 144,000 Jewish evangelists, the two witnesses, the dragon, The beast from the sea, which who is the antichrist? The beast from the earth, who is the false prophet? Last Wednesday night we talked about the day, and that was a specific reference to the day that Jesus' feet stand on the Mount of Olives, his return, Uh, not the uh, rapture of the church specifically. That would have happened before that, but the day he comes to do what we're going to talk about tonight, and tonight. He will be king. That's what happens after the day. The revelation begins with Jesus revealing his messages to the church and the future church. But you must say that after the church part finishes, it gets ugly. And that's what happens. I believe that is a comparison to the tribulation. Souls are martyred, 144,000 Jews are sent to preach the gospel to Israel. The two witnesses preach and then they're killed by the Antichrist. The dragon comes. The Antichrist comes. The false prophet comes. The day comes. The day that some have been dreading and the day that many have been anxiously awaiting. And then the king. The thing that makes the day, the day, is a king. And I want to explain something tonight. You're going to hear me say the word king, and you're going to hear me say the word kingdom. There cannot be a kingdom without a king. It wouldn't make any sense. So when you hear me say king, it is a reference to the fact that he has a kingdom. Revelation part nine, session nine, tonight, the king. Have you ever allowed your imagination to consider the Garden of Eden and what life would be like there? Kind of just pretend that we can close our eyes and think about the Garden of Eden. We have been given by God five senses. I want to begin tonight by thinking about those five senses of man in the Garden Paradise of Eden. What would it have been like to be Adam and Eve? So, here's our five senses. Sight. What did it look like? What do you think it looked like to look across the garden? To look at the sky? Use your imagination. Sound. What did Adam hear? What were the sounds that went into his ears? Taste. What did the food taste like? We know he ate. That the the trees were there for food he ate food what did it taste like smell what well, smells were in the air touch what did it feel like the first time that eve touched him or the first time he touched the nose of a lion i don't advise y'all do that today here's where i'm going they lived in paradise They lived in a perfect world in the presence of the perfect God. They lived in perfect bodies and they ate perfect food and they breathed perfect perfect air. And at least for a while, everyone, everything around them was perfect. We're not sure how long that lasted. Sounds like heaven, doesn't it? I mean, let's be honest. It kind of sounds like heaven. But here's where we're going tonight, so stay with me. But it wasn't heaven in the clouds. It was heaven here. And you would be amazed how many people who are Christians struggle with that sentence I just said. It sounds like heaven, doesn't it? But it's not in a faraway galaxy, far, far away, is it? It's here on this earth. Perfect people in perfect bodies living in perfect peace with perfect nature in the presence of perfect God. If you can't imagine that, then I ask you a question tonight. If you're in the room tonight and in your mind you cannot comprehend this earth being converted into heaven. This earth being converted into the Garden of Eden. This earth becoming the dwelling place of God and us with Him in perfection. If you're in the room tonight and you struggle with that, I want to ask you to consider what the Apostle Paul wrote the church at Corinth. Now bear in mind, Paul acknowledges the current imperfection of the world we live in. The suffering of the world we live in. But he announces something. Listen to it. Romans 8, verse 18. I'm going to pray before I read it. Father, tonight, as I have each night, I ask you to open our minds to understand the Scripture. And tonight, again, I ask you, in Jesus' name, to impart the knowledge of the kingdom in our minds, in our hearts, for the glory of your name and for the souls of man. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul says, yet what we suffer now, so there's suffering on the earth, right? He's not denying any of that. What we suffer now in the fallen world is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. Now, when you read that, when I read that, you know what you're thinking? That glory is going to be way up in the sky, way, way, way far away, right? That's what we're thinking. In fact, our minds have been, um, our minds go that direction naturally, that it's not here. That, that what we suffer now is nothing compared to what he's going to reveal to us later. Well, that's heaven in the heavenly realms in the third heaven. You've got to go out past the stars. You've got to go out past the Milky Way. You've got to, go out, you've got to pass the Hubble telescope. You've got to go out past all that, right? <clears throat> and then you're going to find a beautiful place with streets of gold and gates of pearl and jasper and carnelian and all that, right? Right, right. Stay with me. He says, for all creation. That's everything that's created. And can I say that's everything? For all creation is waiting eagerly for a future day. When God will reveal who his children really are. Not who they think they are, but who they really are. And by the way, they'll be the ones whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. If your name's not in that book, you're out. That's who his children really are. Verse 20, against its will, all creation, there's that word again, was subjected to God's curse. Where's the curse coming? It's coming in the garden. It's coming in the beginning. So the garden is the perfect world on earth, right? It's subjected to the curse. But we, but with eager hope, the creation, there's the word again looks forward to the day when it creation will join God's children so it's not just the future of people it's the future of the creation that the people live in what are we doing it says but with eager hope the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from what What's the freedom from? This is not just people. Is it people? Yeah, but it's not just people. Did you notice? It's the creation which the people are going to live in. It's glorious freedom from death and decay. Whoa, that would change everything. Basically, you can throw this thing away. Time becomes of no meaning. Because what? Because nothing ages. Nothing decays. For (coughs) For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. That's what he says. Groaning. What's that mean, groaning? It's not the way it's supposed to be. Creation has been subjected to the curse. What's the curse? Death and decay. What's our problem? Death and decay. What happens when you undo death and decay? Just just step back and say, God can flip a switch and turn off death and turn off decay. Just flip them off. Everything would change, wouldn't it? All creation is groaning, eagerly waiting for the present earth, listen, the present earth, to be recreated into its former Garden of Eden glory. Is that possible? Does the Bible tell us of such a time on this present earth? Now, I told you already, most church people, and I don't want to say most, a lot of church people really struggle with this. Tonight, I'm going to tell you, some of you are going to have a paradigm shift, which is one option, or you're going to leave mad. That'd be the second option. Okay? I'm ready for both of them. I'm going to say it again. Is it possible, does the Bible tell us, not your opinion, not what your preacher told you when you grew up, not what somebody said... What does the Bible say? Because tonight I'm just going to read the Bible. What does it say about the present earth being recreated? If Revelation 19, which is what we talked about last Wednesday, tells us about the day, the day when he touches down on earth, then Revelation uh, 20 tells us about the day that the king will become king over a kingdom. What will the earth be like when the king comes to the earth? Now listen, there's a large group of people. Where am I going with this? There are a large group of people, and this is not about getting into some kind of a theological debate. There's a large group of people that do not believe Jesus will ever come back to this earth. Irregardless of what the Bible says, they've been told, they've been indoctrinated into the idea that Jesus will never come back to this earth. He's done with this earth. He's done. He's not going to ever come back here. He's not going to reign here. His feet aren't going to stand the Mount of Olives. You've got to throw away Zechariah. It's all figurative language. Is he going to come back here? Because tonight, this picture of the king and the day all hinges on the idea that the king is coming here to take over and create a kingdom here. So here we go. Are you ready to say, uh-huh? Verse 1, chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil, Satan. And he bound him in chains for how long? A thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locks, So Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished afterward he must be released for a little while then i saw thrones and the people sitting on them had been given authority to judge and i saw the souls i saw the souls don't don't forget that one of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about jesus and for proclaiming the word of god what got those souls in trouble (laughs) what is it that's still getting souls in trouble what their testimony about jesus and the word of god the testimony of Jesus and the Word of God to get you in trouble. It's getting them in trouble in this Revelation 20. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue nor accepted the mark on their forehead or on their hands. And who? who? They all came to life again. Who's coming to life again? Those who got in trouble, the martyrs who got in trouble for the testimony and the Word of God. They all came to life again. And what? They reigned... With Christ. Where are they going to do that at? And how long? For a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. And please don't jump the parentheses. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him. There it is again, a thousand years. When the thousand years had come to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. Six times in seven verses, you find this specific description of time. Thousand, a thousand years. You can spiritualize it if you want to. And by the way, I have some people who are dear friends of mine who spiritualize the thousand years. They do not accept that this is a thousand years literally. They believe it's a spiritualization number. Why? I don't know. They just do. I believe it means, guess what? A thousand years. I guess it's because I'm just a simple guy. When I read a thousand years, I think it's a thousand years. A thousand years of what and why? Here's where we're going. Revelation 20. A thousand years of what and why? The thousand year begins with the day. What day? The, the day of Jesus' is coming. But I want to point out six specific things about this thousand years that begins on the day of the king. The day that the king becomes king. Now, All six of these things are in what I just read to you, those first seven verses. I'm not making any of them up. They're right there. Number one, it is the length of time that Satan will be bound. Is that a struggle? That's not a struggle. It's the length of time that Satan will be bound. He's chained in the abyss, in the bottomless pit. So, bound from where? He's not going to be here. Where is here? It's not in some faraway land, is it? It's on the earth. He's bound in a pit, so he's not Roman planet earth. What planet earth? This one. This one. He's gone. Number two. It's the length of time that the nations will not be deceived by Satan. Regular people on earth will not be directly deceived by him. Why? He's not here. He's not here. Number three, it's the length of time that the martyred saints of Christ will reign with Christ the King. What? Let that soak in a minute. A thousand years. It's the length of time that the martyred saints. Now, they're going to have. They're martyred. You know what that means? They're dead. They're going to have to get undead to do that, right? They've got to get undead. That's called the resurrection. The martyred saints are going to have to get undead so they can spend a thousand years with Jesus on the earth as king. Number four, it's the length of time that the rest of the dead... Whoa, 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 whoa. You mean everybody's not going to get undead? Yeah, everybody's not going to get undead. A thousand years is the time... That the rest of the dead are going to wait. They are the unsaved dead. They're going to wait until they are resurrected into God's judgment. If you were here this last weekend, can anybody tell me where they're going to wait at while they wait for the second death? Hades, the place of the dead. That's where they will wait. It's in here, just read it. Number five, it is the length of time that those who rise in the first resurrection, that'd be the rapture of the church, and I saw the dead in Christ rise first, right? It's the length of time that those who rise in the first resurrection will reign with Christ the King. Number six, finally, it's the length of time that will elapse before Satan will again be released from God's prison. You know, all of that's in those seven verses. Every bit of it. Just go up there and read it. Every bit of it's in those seven verses. This thousand years is most commonly known as the millennium. And you'll hear that word, and I want you to understand what it means. Millie means thousand, anum is annum, which is a reference to a year, a thousand years. The millennium kingdom refers to a time when the king, Jesus, will reign on this present earth. Now, there are premillennialists, ooh, that was hard to say, Premillennialist and millennialist and postmillennialist. I am a premillennialist, and I'm going to tell you what that means. It means I read literally Revelation 20. There you go. You want to make it complicated? Go ahead. What are millennialists? There's not a lot of post-millennialists. Let's just say they've really thinned out. But there are amillennialists who believe that ah, the reference would be non-millennial. I'm not going to use that anymore. (laughs) They don't believe in the thousand years. I can say a thousand years. They don't believe in the thousand years. They've spiritualized, so they're amillennial, which means they don't believe it's real, Okay. The first Adam, listen carefully, the first Adam lost this kingdom and dominion to Satan. But there is a day coming when King Jesus is going to take this kingdom and dominion back and make it his very own. He will be king. Can somebody tell me what Adam lost to Satan? Was it heaven? It wasn't, was it? What did he lose? He lost earth. And if the first Adam lost earth, what do you think the last Adam, the second Adam, is going to take possession of? He's going to take possession of what the first one lost, which is what? Earth. Think of the simplicity of the prayer that all of us have prayed in our lifetime, the Lord's Prayer. Think of the simplicity in this context. Jesus told you and I to pray, "What, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed to be your name. May your kingdom come. Where?" Think of the words. How many times have we pray these things that we're not even thinking, "May your kingdom come." That means it's not here. Why are you asking it for it to come for it to come if it's here? Now now listen, the Holy Spirit, some people would want to argue that, the Holy Spirit is the kingdom of Christ reigning inside of me right now. Okay? Yes, yes. But I'm talking about not just inside of me. I'm praying for your kingdom to come fill the earth. Not just fill the Terry, fill the earth. So what do I pray? What did he tell us to pray? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done Where? On earth. On earth. What are you asking him? Would you make things down here like they are up there? Do any of y'all think that up there Satan's reigning? No. At the right hand of the Father right now, do you think Satan's in control? No. Right down here, do you think Satan's in control? Yes. So why do I pray the Lord's Prayer? Because there's a day... Jesus is going to unseat him. He's going to unseat him. He's going to put him in a pit for a thousand years. On earth. I don't know where the pit's at. I don't know where the abyss is. I hope it's in a galaxy far, far away. But listen to how the psalmist describes this coming kingdom of Christ. Psalms 2, verse 1. Why do the nations? Why are the nations so angry? Notice the way don't read over it. The nations. You know what that is a reference to? The people of the earth. Okay? The the, the governments of man on the earth. Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time in feudal plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the who? Who who are the people of the world plotting together against? Against the Lord. And notice the next thing. Against his anointed one. Well, anybody have to guess who that is? Against Jesus. Let us break their chains. The people of the earth say. Whose chains? God's chains. Let us be free to live out our immoral lives without restrictions. Let us Break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from the slavery of God as if God is an unfair master. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in his anger he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, here it comes, here it comes, I have placed my chosen king On the throne. Where? In heaven? No. In Jerusalem. On my holy mountain. Notice he uses the word my holy mountain. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask, and I will give you what? The son, Jesus, all he has to do is look at the father and ask. And I will give you what? What's, what's God the Father going to give Jesus the Son? What's He going to give Him? I will give you the nations. Where? In a galaxy far, far away? No. I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Now push pause, and you all have read the story of Jesus from birth to age 33, death, burial, resurrection. Was that fulfilled already? Did the Lord give him the nations? Has he reigned on earth with an iron? Has that happened yet? That's not happened. There's no way you can say that that has. Has the promise been made? Yes. Has he fulfilled it? No. No, not yet. I can tell you what he's going to. When the angel Gabriel, and you've heard me quote this a thousand times, when the angel Gabriel came to Mary, the kingdom and the king were clearly defined on the present earth. Not in a galaxy far, far away. Let me read it, Luke 1.30. Don't be afraid, Mary, Gabriel told her, For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. He will be very great and called the son of the most high God. The Lord God's going to do something. What is it? He's going to give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. So let's push pause again. Why do so many people struggle with the idea that Jesus is going to come back to this earth and take over? Go back to Daniel. The prophet Daniel describes it in incredible detail. 500 years before Jesus is born in Bethlehem. And he interprets the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. So who's, who, who did God reveal this to? Not Daniel, not in this text. He revealed the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. But he interpreted the dream dream through Daniel. But the dream itself was King Nebuchadnezzar, a Gentile, the king of Babylon. What is the dream? Here we go, Daniel 2.29. While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about what? Coming events. That's future stuff. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. What's going to happen? And it is not because I am wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dreams. That's what Daniel says. But because God wants you, King Nebuchadnezzar, to know and understand what was in your heart when you had that dream. In your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of gold, was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron and its feet were a combination of iron baked with clay. Now push pause. If you read the story, you know what's interesting is that Nebuchadnezzar didn't tell Daniel his dream. He called all the astrologers and the magicians in to tell him the meaning of the dream, but Nebuchadnezzar didn't trust anybody. So he said, not only are you going to have to interpret the dream, you're going to have to tell me what I dreamed. And his his court said, nobody can tell you what you dream, but Daniel can't. Not only is he telling him what his dream is, as I read it, he's telling him what he dreamed, which he had not revealed to anybody, he's also going to tell him what the dream means. And what has happened so far, there's this huge statue, head of gold, chest of silver, and and it represents, I'll get to the chase, all the Gentile kingdoms of men. Who's it revealed to? A Gentile king named Nebuchadnezzar. Not Jewish, Gentile kings. After King Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold, will come what? The Medo-Persian Empire. The chest of silver. That'll be followed by the Greeks. Alexander the Great will come across Europe. Will come across the Middle East. Finally, the Romans will come. All the kingdoms of men are, are displayed inside that giant statue. 500 years B.C. Before there are The Greeks, before Alexander the Great's even born. It's already being revealed. Here we go, verse 34. As you watched, Daniel's talking to the king, Nebuchadnezzar. A rock, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. Anybody want to guess who that is? His name's Jesus. A rock cut from the mountain, but not by human hands. That means God is cutting out this rock. It struck the feet of iron and clay. What is is that? This rock's coming supernaturally to hit the feet of the statue which represents the kingdoms of men. Why would you do that? Unless this rock is going to crush all of the kingdoms of men. It struck the feet of iron and clay smashing them to bits. The whole statue... All the kingdoms of mankind. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain and covered the whole earth. Go down to verse 44. During the reign of those kings, the God of heaven. What, during the reign of those kings. Who, who, the Gentile kings of, of earth, right? During the reign of the Gentile kings. While there are Gentiles reigning on the earth. Ruling the earth. During the reign of those Gentile kings, the God of heaven is going to do something. Not in a galaxy far, far away. He's going to set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It will never be conquered. It will crush all the kingdoms of men into nothingness, and it will stand how long? A thousand years? Uh 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 uh. How long? Forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands, that crushed the pieces of. Statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. The dream is true, and its meaning is certain. Now, do you struggle with that scene, that interpretation? Daniel is pretty clear in what this means, right? He just doesn't reveal Jesus' name. But who is this king? This rock cut out of a mountain, not by human hands, that can crush all the kingdoms of men into powder, and they'll blow away and establish a kingdom that covers the whole earth and is eternal. Who is that? His name's Jesus. Nobody else could feel this. It's him. King Nebuchadnezzar heard Daniel's interpretation, and you know what he did? He believed it. Read the story. He bowed down to Daniel. Now, you might not think much of that until you understand that Daniel's a slave. Nebuchadnezzar is the world's superpower. And the most powerful man in the world bows down to a Jewish slave. Why? Because in his heart he knows that guy just told me the future. And yet today, all these years later, there's a lot of people still struggling. This is coming. This is coming. This is still, this is not fulfilled. Not yet. It's going to be. Do you want more proof The prophet Isaiah said this, Isaiah 9, we read it every Christmas, kind of like the Lord's Prayer. I wonder if people are listening to the words out of their own mouth. Isaiah 9, 6, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. What government? Where? Where? The government's going to rest on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and his peace. So when he brings the government, listen, you've got to connect them. When his government is initiated, peace is coming. His government and his peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice, where? In a galaxy far, far away? No, he will rule with justice and fairness from the throne of his ancestor David. For how long? 1000 years? Uh-huh. 1000 years is the warm-up. Forever. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Don't bet against it. It's going to happen. What government was, is going to rest on his shoulders? Can the average church person answer these questions? What government is going to rest on his shoulders? His government and his peace will never end. What government? Where? He will rule with fairness and justice on the throne of David for all eternity. David's throne is not in heaven. Does anybody in the room believe David's throne is in heaven? If you do, you've got to show me where that's at because it's not in here. David's throne is in Jerusalem. It's not in heaven. So when the angel Gabriel and the prophet Isaiah announced that Jesus is going to reign on David's throne, it is not in a galaxy far, far away. It's here. God is passionate and he will make this happen. In fact, the only remaining question is when. Because when it starts, it will never end. Listen. A lot of you are struggling with the idea that, well, there's going to be a thousand year reign on earth, but then all of these references are eternal. Listen, when it starts, it doesn't end. There's not going to be a start and then he's unseated or impeached or steps down. No, when he, when he takes his seat on David's throne... When he assumes control of planet earth. And Satan is gone. In fact, after a thousand years, Satan will be released for a season. But Jesus remains the king for the season. And after the season, what happens to Satan? You know what happens. He goes to hell. Right? So it is an eternal kingdom. When it begins, it is eternal. It has a thousand years. And I don't want to get ahead of myself because I'm going to reveal the next session. So I'll stop there. Revelation eleven fifteen. 15. And then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices shouting in heaven. What? The world... What world? The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign Forever and ever. Jesus is coming to make war on his enemies. And take control and command of planet earth. Away from Satan. Away from the Antichrist. And away from the false prophet. Now listen, in case you've got a bad, bad memory, when he arrives, the Bible says when he arrives, his showing up kills the Antichrist. Right. And when I say kills the Antichrist, the Antichrist and his sidekick, the false prophet, are both going into the lake of burning sulfur upon the arrival of Jesus. It's in the Scripture. Satan doesn't follow them, not yet. He's got to pass for at least a thousand years and plus that season, however long that season is at the end. But when Jesus comes, understand... Who's reigning on the earth when Jesus comes? The Antichrist. Who's going to stop reigning on the earth? The Antichrist. Jesus will win, and Jesus will reign on this present earth for a thousand years. Revelation 19, verse 15. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down what? The nations. Who are they? Who are they? It's just some people, I know what people look at me and say, it's just figurative language. It's figurative language. It doesn't mean anything. I respectfully disagree. He's coming with a sharp sword to strike down the nations, he will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. Is there some figurative language in Revelation? Yes, there is. Is everything in Revelation figurative? No, it's not. It's not. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So let's ask some questions. What nations is King Jesus striking down? Is it Luke Skywalker in the galaxy far, far away? Will everyone be dead, or will some from other nations survive his arrival? You want to get deep? Here we go. Will everyone be dead? He comes to strike down the nations. Is everybody going to die? King over, king of kings. What kings? Lord of lords. What lords? He's king over the kings. Who's the kings he's king over? He's Lord over the lords. Who's the Lord? He's Lord. Who, who, who's he over? Zechariah 14. I told you all we were going to go deep tonight. Zechariah 14. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations. All right, he's come. Zechariah 14 says his feet stand on the Mount of Olives, by the way. And then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fought in the times past. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a a wide valley running from east to west. Half the mountain will move toward the north and half toward the south. Fight against what nations? Is there another Mount of Olives? Is there another Jerusalem? If you're in the room tonight and you have never in your mind comprehended the fact that he's coming here to a planet near you, Do you think there's another Mount of Olives? Another Jerusalem? Another throne of David? The earth will shake and split apart at his coming. If the glory of Jesus kills the Antichrist upon arrival, what do you think will happen to the ground when he stands on it? It says that the earth will shake and the valley will split. And the topography, by the way, it's quite detailed that the topography of Israel will change. Many believe, I'd be one of those, that actually Israel in elevation will be lifted to the highest place, and all the nations will have to go up to Jerusalem. Everything's going to change. This part is going to shock some of you, and it's going to stretch some of you, so I'm going to say, are you ready? Say, "Uh Uh uh-huh. No, you're not. You're making that up. The Bible clearly states that Jesus will appoint resurrected King David to rule in Jerusalem upon his return. I'm going to look at your faces. The Bible clearly states that he is going to appoint King David to rule in Jerusalem upon his return. Do you think I'm making this up? Ezekiel 34 verse 23 And I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. He will feed them and be a shepherd to them. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be a prince among my people. I, the Lord, have spoken. So if you want to know if resurrected people are going to reign with Christ in the millennium, think about that one. Now, here's where we're going to make a big point tonight. Here's my goal to make a big point tonight. I could ask every one of you, do you believe in the resurrection? Every one of you tonight, would, even if you were embarrassed not to, you'd say, yeah. We just had Resurrection Sunday last week, right? So everybody believes in the resurrection. What are you going to do when you're resurrected? Stand around? Look in the sky? What are you going to do? Resurrected to do What? to stand somewhere for a thousand years? To float on a cloud somewhere? What are you doing? Where are you going to do it? The Bible says he's going to resurrect the bodies. He's going to put the souls from heaven back into the bodies on the earth and give them eternal flesh. And he's going to take David and he's going to put him in Jerusalem as under working under the authority of Christ. Well, what about you? Ezekiel lived about 500 years after the time of King David. So, so listen, Ezekiel 34, what I just read, David's going to rule in Jerusalem. Ezekiel lived about 500 years after the time of King David and 600 years before the time of Christ, and yet God reveals that Jesus will resurrect King David to reign under him in Jerusalem in the future. Stop right now. If you, believe, if you truly believe in the resurrection, why would you for a second struggle with David reigning as king in Jerusalem? Because you know what? I'll answer the question that no one wants to answer. Because down deep, you still struggle with the resurrection. Because he's going to reign, he'll be an old dude in a new body what Paul says is going to happen death and decay will be stopped death and decay will be stopped there's no age when death and decay all creation is groaning in eager expectation waiting the day that death and decay he turns it off he turned it on you think he can't turn it off do you think you're going to be resurrected as a spook Casper, the friendly ghost? Or do you think you're going to be resurrected into a glorified, eternal human body like Adam had in the garden before sin? Like Eve had in the garden before sin? Some would say, well, that's great, Terry. King David is back in his resurrected body reigning in Jerusalem, but what about me? Well, it's my job. Daniel talks about this as Well, Daniel 7.15 I Daniel was troubled by all I had seen and my vision my visions terrified me so I approached one of those standing beside the throne and asked him what it all meant I don't know why that tickles me but you know what what Daniel saw would make most people leave town I mean he saw things unspeakable so, he's, his words is so I approached one that was standing beside the throne to ask him what it all meant. He explained it to me like this These four huge beasts represent four kingdoms that will arise from the earth. But in the end, after those Gentile kingdoms, but in the end, the holy people of the Most High will be given the kingdom, and they will rule forever and ever. Who are they? Who are these holy people of the Most High? Because look what he says. In the end, church, listen to me. In the end, Daniel says the holy people of the Most High will be given the kingdom and they're going to reign, they're going to rule forever and ever. What kingdom? Who are they? Go down to verse 27. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms of under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever, and all rulers will serve and obey Him. There will be a realm of authority on the earth during the thousand-year reign of Christ. Jesus will be the king, and David will reign under Jesus in Jerusalem. Wait, there's more. Jesus in Matthew 19 says this. Well, let me, let me start with 27. Then Peter said to Jesus, We've given up everything to follow you. What do we get? It seems like an odd question to ask Jesus. But you know what? I guess it's a good one. You know what? Because you all want to know, you're just too scared to ask him. What? What do we get? Lord, I've given up everything to follow you. I denied myself, I took up a cross, I believed you, I I laid my life down to serve you. I mean, that's what we're saying in our hearts, right? What do we get? Well, he answers. He's answering Peter specifically. By the way, this would not apply to all of us in this room, but in general, there's a similar response. Did Jesus deny that Peter had given up everything? No, he says, yes, Jesus replied. He acknowledges, yeah, you did give up everything to follow me. And I assure you that when the world is made new, are you with me? When the world is made new, and the Son of Man sits upon His glorious throne, when's that going to happen? You who have been my followers will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone, Uh uh-oh, uh-oh. Now, he was first talking to Peter and the twelve, right? And now he's thrown in that big word called everyone. And now everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. When are you going to get that? Where, where are you going to spend it? That reward. A hundred times what you gave up. Where are you going to spend it? He, he's writing you a check. Where are you going to cash it? In a galaxy far, far away? Where's, where's this happening? Where are, the, where are the twelve apostles judging the twelve tribes? You've always thought that was in heaven, didn't you? Where is this happening? When, when I say heaven, you think... Not here. Somewhere else. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. Those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Peter was a Jew from the seed of Abraham, an apostle of Jesus. And Jesus told him what? He will sit on one of the twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Judging the Jewish people. Peter's going to sit on one of the twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes. Listen carefully. The word judging is in that context does not mean what judging means to you and I. Judging is not their eternal salvation judging. Judging means what? He's the ruler. What were the judges in the Old Testament? What was Samuel? He was a judge. When, he said, when, it was, when the term judge was used in the Old Testament, it's a reference to like your governor or your leader, the prime minister, whatever. You're, you're the head of that government organization so the 12 apostles are going to be the governing authority over the 12 tribes of israel the apostle paul the apostle to the gentiles describes the role of the resurrected and glorified church in the millennium kingdom of christ i'm laughing because if you think you were struggling earlier wait till this one What about the Gentiles? So, the the, the 12 apostles are going to sit on 12 thrones reigning over the millennial reign of Israel on earth. More than likely in Jerusalem. What about us Gentiles? The Apostle Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, right? To the Gentiles. He describes the role of the resurrected and glorified church in the millennial kingdom of Christ. He's writing this to whom? The church at Corinth. They are Gentiles. Here's what he says. 1 Corinthians 6.2 Don't you realize that someday we believers are going to judge the world? And since you're going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among yourselves? You know what that comment was? That Christians were suing Christians? And he's saying you all are idiots. If you're a Christian suing another Christian, you're an idiot. You should settle it or give in. He said, Don't you realize one of these days you're going to judge the world? What? What do you mean? The word judge doesn't necessarily mean final judgment, it's a term of ruler. No more war. How's that sound to you? You can't have a Garden of Eden on earth with war, right? So let's kind of change gears a little bit. Jesus is king. He's established a thousand year reign. Is there going to be peace? Will they fight Him as king? Will they rebel against Him as king? Isaiah 2.2 In the last days the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all. That's why a lot of people believe that when Jesus comes Jerusalem will rise geographically. I don't know how that would work. I just, If He made the whole universe, He can raise up Jerusalem. Right? In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from, every, from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways and we'll walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from where? From Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. Why? Why? How? Because he's here. He's here. His teaching. People are traveling to Jerusalem. What? To see the wailing wall? No, they're traveling to Jerusalem because he's here. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. He's the king. He's mediating between the nations of the earth. He, they will, the nations will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will no longer fight against nation or train for war anymore. It'll become an agricultural earth. Did you catch what they're turning their war machines into agricultural tools? Now I'm gonna tell you. I imagine the millennial reign of Christ and the eternal kingdom on the new earth to be agricultural. Yes, I do. I believe people are gonna have a piece of land, and I think you're going. It'll be the Garden of Eden. You will sit. You will. Uh, it'll be agricultural. It was that way in the garden. What did Adam get called to do? Tend the garden. Eat its fruit. Nobody's going to come in and take your garden away. They will hammer their swords into plowshares. Why do you need plows for it? And it won't be some of y'all thinking, oh, I remember when I was a kid, I raised tobacco and I hated it, I hated it, I hated it. Don't tell me about agriculture. I chopped out a tobacco patch. Don't tell me, oh, no, that's hail. That's hell, that's not heaven. No, you're still not getting it. It's a perfect body in a perfect place with a perfect king and your crops never fail. And He puts inside of you the desire to do what you do and you do it because you love to do it not because you've got to do it. I don't know what it's going to be like. Totally. I just think it's going to be Incredible no war, peace between nations, and here we go, this is crazy, this is crazy good, peace between nations and peace with the created world, Isaiah 11, 1, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from an old root. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. Who is this guy? (laughs) He's Jesus. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of His word, and one breath from His mouth will destroy the wicked He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. In that day, what day? When he's here, when he arrives, in that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. Well, they live together now, but for a little while. And then there's one left. They eat. But in that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And a little child will be able to lead them. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Can you you see that? Mom, I got a cobra, look. Yes, a little child will put his hand in the nest of deadly snakes without harm. What's happening? Jesus is here. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for as the waters fill the sea, so the earth, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. In that day, here it comes, the heir to David's throne will be the banner of salvation to the world, to all the world. The nations will rally to him and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. For how long? A thousand years. Will there be people born on the earth during these thousand years? I don't have a lot of time to go into detail, so hang on. Will there be people born on the earth during these thousand years? Yes. Born to whom? Because that becomes the logical question. Not to people in resurrected bodies, but what about those who did not die in the tribulation, referred to in these scriptures tonight as the nations? Will some from the nations survive? Yes. Yes. There will be survivors of the tribulation. And yes, I believe the survivors of the tribulation, though they may not be great numbers, they will have children during the thousand-year reign of Christ. And life expectancies from these people will be incredible. Let me read it to you. Isaiah 65. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die when they have lived, when they before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at a hundred. Only the cursed will die that young. In those days, what days? I believe this is a reference to the millennial kingdom of Christ. In those days, people will live in the houses they build and eat the fruit of their own vineyards. There's another one of those places where I believe it'll be an agricultural world. They'll live in the houses they build, and they'll have their own vineyards. Unlike the past, invaders will not take their houses or confiscate their vineyards, for my people will live as long as trees. And my chosen ones will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. They will not work in vain, and their children will not be doomed to misfortune, for they are people blessed by the Lord, and their children too will be blessed and I will answer them before they even call to me while they are still talking about their needs I will go ahead and answer their prayers the wolf and the lamb are going to feed together during the same time the lion will eat hay like a cow but the snakes will eat but the snakes will eat dust in those days no one will hurt or destroyed will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain I the Lord have spoken what about the lamb Does anyone think this is looking more and more like the Garden of Eden? In Joel chapter 2, it says, Don't be afraid, you animals of the field, for the wilderness pastures will soon be green. The trees will again be filled with fruit. Fig trees and grapevines will be loaded down once more. Rejoice, you people of Jerusalem. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for the rain He sends demonstrates His faithfulness. Once more, the autumn rains will come, as well as the rains of spring. The threshing floor will again be piled high with grain and the presses will overflow with new wine and olive oil. What's happening on earth? Jesus is here and the animals like each other and people like each other and the crops are yielding and this rain comes exactly when you need it. It's like what? It sounds like the Garden of Eden. Isaiah 35, Even the wilderness will and desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The desert will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plains of Sharon. There the Lord will display His glory, the splendor of our God. So I close with this. The king. He will stand on the Mount of Olives and take his seat on David's throne in Jerusalem. Satan will be put in prison for a thousand years, and the earth will be totally changed by two events. What are the two events? Jesus is here, Satan's gone. Two things. That's all it takes. You and I will have returned with Jesus to this present earth and watch as Jesus turns this earth into a Garden of Eden. At the end of the thousand years, there will be a final resurrection of the lost. At the end, of the thousand years, there will be a final resurrection of the lost. The lost. And then there's going to be a radical transformation of this present earth by fire. And that's a coming session. I can't go into that now. In fact, let me list the coming sessions for you. Tonight is number nine, the king. Next Wednesday night is the judgment day. At the end of the thousand years, there's a great, a great white throne judgment. It is the resurrection of the lost. After that will be number 11. Revealing the reality of hell. What is it? The place of the eternally lost. And the final session will be what? And after that. The new heaven and the new earth. My question tonight in closing is this. Do you believe in the resurrection? Jesus's and yours? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. If He raised Him from the dead, He's going to raise you from the dead. Do you really believe in the resurrection? What are you going to do when He raises you? Verse 6, Revelation 20. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. I'm going to give you a picture of that. When the loud trumpet comes at the rapture, this is the reference to the first resurrection. What? The dead in Christ are going to rise. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. Why? For them, the second death holds no power. There is no second death for you. They will be priests of God and of Christ, and they're going to reign with him for a thousand years. If you're raptured, if you're raptured, that's called the the first resurrection. If you're raptured, if if your grandmother died and she's in the ground, she's a believer, and and he comes tonight, we and grandma are going to rise, going to get glorified bodies We're going to go to be with Him. Tribulation will take place on earth. We're coming back in glorified, resurrected bodies. We're going to reign with Him for a thousand years as He recreates the earth into the Garden of Eden. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can you see it? You and I resurrected into a new world, new bodies, eternal life. Do you believe any of this, some of this, all of this, none of this? The last word tonight comes from Jesus in the final chapter of the Revelation. And I'm going to tell you, He's talking to the church. Here we go, Revelation twenty-two sixteen. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. For the churches. I am both the source and the heir. I'm both the source of David and the heir to His throne. I am the bright morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, come, let anyone who hears this, come, let anyone who is thirsty, come, let anyone who desires drink freely from this water of life. And I solemnly declare that anyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. He who is faithful witness to all these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. Father, thank you for your word. Maranatha, Hosanna, hallelujah, amen. Amen. Thank you all.